Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you realize your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review. And together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. Welcome back to another recording of Pencil Leadership. I am Chris Anderson, your host for this journey to learn right alongside everyone. And uh, I'm going to be doing that today because we got a, a great guest that's going to help us differentiate the difference between being an expert and a thought leader and utilizing being an author uh, to do that. So I'm super excited to dive into that because I have some book ideas for the future. So I'm going to learn. So I hope you all take out your pencils and, and get ready to write down some notes. But uh, we have Bryna Haynes on the show today, and she's the CEO and founder of World Changers uh, Media. And I'm going to let Bryna introduce and just do a high level of herself for you all to get to know it a little better. But first, Bryna, thanks for being on Pencil Leadership today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Um, hi, everyone. It's very yeah. nice to uh, to be with you all. And uh, yes, as Chris said, I'm the CEO and founder of World Changers Media, which is a hybrid publishing company dedicated to uh, producing impact-driven books by and for the next generation of thought leaders. So we work with authors in multiple areas of transformational nonfiction from entrepreneurship and business through um, results and uh, outcome-driven memoir and many other areas. And I'm just really, really passionate about bringing amazing new ideas forward and super excited to talk about that with you today, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that and, and just kind of pick your brain and, and learn all about that. But for those you know who might be listening, who might not necessarily know the difference between expert and thought leadership or being a thought leader, how, how do we differentiate or what's the differences between those two? So I probably think about this differently than most people. So I'm going to give you my answer to that. Um, because I think when many of us start off in our businesses or career, what we're really looking to become is an expert, is like the person with the answers. To me, thought leadership is one step beyond that. So when we're when we're an expert, we're focused on a very narrow um niche of information and ideas and we're really putting all of our energy into becoming great at this thing which is amazing and we absolutely must start there but when we step into thought leadership what happens is we stop assimilating and um, and aggregating information and we start innovating mm. and to me what actually makes the difference and what helps us cross that line is really being more of who we already are. Okay. So there's this there's this tendency we have, and I know that I've done this. And you know, I've I've made many different career jumps in my mm -hmm. lifetime. Um, I landed in books. I've been here for 15 years, but I've also really bounced around a lot. And when we kind of close one chapter of our life. Um, you know, we tend to kind of shut the door on that and like, okay, that part of my life is done or that version of me is done. And now I'm going to move on to this next thing. Um, and many of us do that. Like when we leave a corporate job to start a business or we, you know, close one business and start another. Right. But really we are 
repositories of experience and information. And just because we're an expert in one thing doesn't mean that all the other aspects of who we are aren't relevant. Mm. In fact, when we really lean into those and the, the vast array of, you know, just cool stuff about us. And we form this lens through which to view our expertise. Then we have the potential to step into thought leadership because nobody can see our subject the way we see it because nobody else has our experience. Mm. And the way that I usually frame this is, you know, there's a bajillion psychology researchers out there. There's only one Brene Brown. And Brene yeah. Brown is not Brene Brown because she's a researcher. She is who she is and she brings in all of these various dynamics of her life and her personality and creates a lens through which to view her research that is unique to her. Mm. And all of us have the potential to do that in our work. Um, and having expertise to lean into is really the first step because yeah. we have a depth there and we have enough experience, you know, expertise and experience, very much connected. Um, but we have enough depth and, and experience with our subject to actually begin to innovate based on our unique viewpoints mm. and our unique personalities and our unique ways of seeing the world. That's a great and it's a great example of Brene Brown. I actually just so I did this book online virtual club, quote unquote, not really a club, but. Uh, where people send their favorite book to you and then it, mm -hmm. it's a chain basically. And I, you know, I was like, oh, why not try it? And we got, I got about 12 books from it, but Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart was one. And I think it's, it's a good, you know, thing, what you said there about we're unique and we have our own, you know, lens of things and how we do things and our, you know, our personality, all that plays a part into, you know, our being a thought leader because we're the only ones. And it ties into pencil leadership and how we're all unique uh, to leave our positive mark. And so that's, that's a cool thing, how it correlates there uh, with what you said, but you know, what if people don't see themselves as an expert or they don't see themselves as having anything that they can become an expert in? Do you, do you find that mm. with some people that they just maybe don't have that confidence or, or they don't see that their ability is there in certain areas? So what I actually see is that, a lot of people correlate being an expert with having lots of titles or letters after their name. And in some cases, yes, that can absolutely confer expertise. But as I said, the words mm -hmm. expertise and experience yeah. are very closely related. And so to be an expert in something, first and foremost, you just have to have experience in it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, one of the things that was really difficult for me starting out as a writer. Uh, in 2005, 2006, I, um, I stepped away from a previous career um, and I you know, basically hung a sign on my door that said editor and started this little freelance writing business. Awesome. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and my only expertise at the time was experience as an avid, voracious, devourer, 100 books a year kind of reader. Mm -hmm. And turns out that was enough to get started. It's not, it's not always the end point, right. but I knew more about writing than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And I knew more about writing than most of the people I was working with simply yeah. by virtue of my passion for the written word. I don't have a college degree in English. I don't have a master's degree. Actually, I don't have a college degree at all. Um, and I think when we understand that learning 
through experience can be just as powerful as having the accolades and the papers and the credentials. And we actually lean into our own unique way of learning, mm-hmm. which is different for everyone. When we learn and explore that, we prove to ourselves that we can learn and we prove to ourselves that we can be with experience and the things that we're passionate about and keep accumulating experience. Yeah. That is what leads to expertise. Yeah. There's I think no mark that you cross or line that you cross. You're right. Like, now I'm an expert because, yep. you know, you just, otherwise you'll never get there. And I think even experts, I mean, they can, we all continue to grow no matter what level we're at. We can always, always continue to learn, experience new things that open up, you know, doors to teach other people certain things or to include certain things in our, in our way of doing. So I, I think that's a crucial piece to, to be had, but what if someone's starting out mm-hmm. and they're trying to start something like you, you said, you basically hung a, a sign on your door, said editor and, and, you know, went at it. I'm sure. And, and, you know, we've all seen it starting a business that people want to know if you have expertise, if you have that validity behind yourself, because they're going to pay you for something. So how can we position ourselves as an expert starting out in your opinion, and then grow that so people can, can see you are, you know, an expert, you, you are good at what you're doing. So there are a couple of ways to approach this. And honestly, I think it depends on the industry. For me, it was being very clear. I'm new at this. I'm learning as I go. Here's a sample of my work. And, you know, honestly, after I had three or four projects under my belt and some satisfied clients, I no longer needed to prove anything to anyone because the work spoke for itself. So I think starting out, it's really being willing to do whatever it takes to produce the highest quality work that you are capable of producing. Understand that you don't know what you don't know and that that's okay. And just be really clear with the people that you're working with that, you know, I'm learning too. I'm going to do my absolute best. I believe my best is going to be more than good enough to produce the outcome that you want. And I'm going to be open about, you know, things that I don't know. So I remember vividly in, I think it was 2007, I was editing a book. And at the time, I really didn't understand the stylistic differences between UK Mm. English and American English, Uh. (laughs) because I read so much from various sides of the pond that it was all kind of confusing in my head. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I had to sit down and I had to redo an entire manuscript because I had used um, British style quotation marks and punctuation within and around the quotation marks. And I had to go back and redo everything to Chicago manual of style standard. Mm. My client was like, I wouldn't have even known that. Like if she would never have noticed, probably no one would have noticed, but I found it out. And so I had to own it and I had to, you know, it's yeah. a silly example, but there are things, things like that can feel so scary in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I can't, like, I'm supposed to be a professional. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> um, and it's okay to not know what we don't know. It's okay to yep. be in a learning curve. So I think, you know, number one is always going to be do your absolute best and make sure that if you have a question, you're not fudging it <laughs> because right. pretending to know something you don't is the worst way to uh to build credibility for yourself you're much mm-hmm. better off owning what you don't know and say hey i didn't know this before but now we're going to adapt because now i know yeah. um and you know and also trusting what you do know is mm-hmm. huge remembering that you know more than you think you do 
And that when you really lean in, you can feel when, when you're in the right place, you feel a level of certainty in your yeah. body and your energy and to figure out how to trust that. And for some of us, that's a huge unraveling process that includes a lot of personal development work. So yes. if that's if that's you, um, like really lean into that and be willing to do that work, mm-hmm. particularly for people um, in my world who are survivors of trauma, who have, mm-hmm. you know, difficult pasts, that self-trust piece can be really, really sticky. And so be willing to do the work that needs to get done to um, to uncover any issues around self-trust and self-confidence mm. and get support for, for working with that, like real professional support. Oh, yeah. Because the confidence piece to me is more often what's missing than the expertise. Yes, I would agree. I, and I had, you know, personally, I had to work through some some blocks that I had just mentally to to get to that level of confidence and, you know, overcome you hear imposter syndrome, things of that nature. So yeah, it's, it's really a a lot of people's journeys. And yeah, I think finding that and breaking through that and just going with what, you know, being transparent is huge uh, to just continue to build on that, build that trust in relationships. And, you know, it's one step at a time, right? So we improve ourselves, we improve what we're doing and we can help other people along the way. Absolutely. And I I find that I'm still doing that. You know, Uh, we launched World Changers Media in 2020. We're moving into, you know, bigger, more visible spaces for Mm -hmm. our clients. It's been absolutely amazing. And I'm still learning as I go. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) Right. And my clients are like, hey, I know you're working on this. Like, let's figure this out together. And it's um, it's really fantastic because we can't create something new if we go in knowing all the answers, right? Because the, the, if we have answers, we're not asking questions. Mm. We're not improving. We're not adapting. We're not growing. We're simply sitting in our own certainty. And that is absolute recipe for stagnation. Absolutely. I mean, you think Elon Musk, how many questions he's like, so can we do this? Can we do that? Why not? And that's how things have been created that he's done taking those risks, taking those chances and, you know, asking why or asking why not or whatever it is, that's the only way to, to grow and have new innovations come about, like you're saying. Exactly. And, you know, and and being willing to invest time, energy, resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and working with people in a collective where you don't really know what the yeah. outcome is going to be yeah. and being willing to embrace that level of uncertainty. I mean, I think that that is a skill that we learn as entrepreneurs. Um, I'm not sure it ever gets easy, but it gets easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting for it to get easy, you know, 15 right. plus years in, right? So. Right. It's like, you know, the quote I heard, new levels, new devils kind of thing. You, No matter where you're at, there's always something difficult, something that's, you know, you have to work through or learn or grow through. And uh, yeah, it's a great point. Um, and, and I know you work, you know, with authors and, and in the writing space. And I, I agree, and, and I'm sure you do too, that becoming an author helps kind of propel you into that expert level in the eyes of your audience, just like uh, in my world, podcasting helps boost you into that level because you're speaking on that topic and you're able to show people, you know, what you're talking about through the episodes uh, from your show. And in the same case of writing, you're showing people, you know, something and it's out there for the world and you went through the process. Is that the case? Is that kind of what is big in authorship? 
100%. And I think just like with podcasts, the key is to make sure that you're getting the support to actually Mm. do it well. Um, And if you, because there's, so I think I should start a little bit. I should back up a little bit. For sure. No. Yeah. So, um, so one of the amazing things that mm-hmm. has happened in the world of publishing in the last 20 years is this advent of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And now literally anyone who has material to share can publish their work and become an author. And this is amazing because what we've done is we've basically said, you don't need a marketer to bet your work in order to qualify it for public consumption, which is amazing because what we're seeing right now, and this, I tell my authors this all the time, it doesn't matter if I think, I mean, I want to be able to always stand behind the idea of Mm -hmm. any book that we work on because that's crucially important to me. What I don't need to know is, is this going to be marketable at a mass scale? Because literally, I mean, if a woman can be on TikTok marketing her farts, then you can sell anything you believe in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so it doesn't, you know, we don't need to go through this process to say, is the demographic of women between 35 and 44 going to purchase this book en masse? Like that just, it kills ideas. Mm. Some of the most amazing works that have ever been produced were because someone took a chance and an idea that was almost completely certain was going to be unpopular. Nobody was ready for Sylvia Plath or, or, you know, or George Orwell before Mm -hmm. those books came out. And if if the marketing engines of today had been in place when those authors were working, they would never have been published. Mm. And that is a terrifying thought because what's happening is everything is being vetted according to kind of the lowest common denominator. Will large numbers of people buy this, which means you're giving people what they want, Mm -hmm. not what they need, not what's going to challenge them, not what's so I have a huge spiel about this. this. My point is this Um, self-publishing has opened every door, but what it has also created the possibility of is that uh, this idea of DIY Write your book in a weekend. Just get it out there. Just write a manuscript and publish it. You know, just have something as though the idea of just having a book or a podcast or Mm -hmm. an album, if you're a musician, is enough. But it's actually not. You want a quality podcast. There it is. You want a quality book. You want an album that doesn't have, you know, your neighbor's dog barking in the background. Yeah, right? so, exactly. Um, and so we're, we're kind of in this space where on the one side we have the traditional publishing, which is, you know, very much, um, you know, consumer driven and mm-hmm. no longer ideas driven, which is very sad. And then we have yep. the self-publishing space, which is a bit of a free for all. And so what I'm seeing is that authors are not receiving the parameters that are going to help them make good decisions about when to write a book, how to write their book, what their book actually should be doing for them, what their book does not need to do, all of that. And so I truly believe that anyone who is stepping into an expert space should have a book. I also believe that anyone who is ready to step into that space um, should have assistance from other experts to create the level and quality of book that is actually going to propel them forward. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's great that the self publishing's out there for people who, you know, it's on their bucket list to, you know, write a book. That's that's awesome. And I think it's cool. And I think again with podcasting, it's great for people to just be able to share their story, get it out there, uh, just to be able to do that. But from the from the direction of like where we come from, from building something, a brand, a business, yeah, we have to have those those guides, those other individuals to help us put out a high quality product. You know, I didn't get to where I am today in podcasting uh, without the help of other people. Uh, I learned from so many. And I I mean, looking back on when I started to now, the quality back then was a lot lower than it is now because I've learned along the process or along the way about the process and how to get a better quality product out there. And and I think you hit it right uh, on the head with that. I think self-publishing is great, but utilizing someone like yourself or or others is going to help you get to that kind of next level with, with the product you're putting out. Absolutely. And really, you know, the conversation I have a lot is Mm -hmm. let's make sure that no matter what path you choose, that the quality of the product that you're producing is aligned with where your brand is, yeah. but most important, where the next step of your thought leadership is. So, you know, if you're, if your goal for your next step of thought leadership is to, you know, have something to present to your clients, to share your ideas, to really get your message out there to the people that you already are connected with, mm-hmm. you know, do you need to, you know, invest a, a, a big chunk of money in producing like a top quality book. Maybe not. Maybe that's right. your next book. Right. Yep. But if you have a brand that it has visibility, if your next step is like, I want to speak at Google or, <laughs> you know, I want to be on stage at these big conferences, then, you know, a DIY book is probably not going to be something you can lean into mm. to achieve that. Yeah. And so, I think, you know, people come to the, to the writing process at different stages and, you know, sometimes what people are looking to do is actually to, um, to write a book, to launch a business. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't recommend that. Yeah. Um, because I think our ideas, when they live in our heads, they feel very whole, they feel <laughs> very cohesive. And then the minute we start teaching them, they change. Yeah. And so we don't need to put our ideas through a standard marketing process in order to consider them valid, but we do need to put them through a people process Mm -hmm. and observe how people engage with their ideas, observe what lands, observe what doesn't, get feedback about what's important to them about the ideas so that you can have a really productive conversation. And so... um, So I don't usually encourage people to launch their business with a book unless they already have a high level of expertise that they've gained somewhere else and that they know that the ideas are going to land in the way that they intend for them to land. Yeah. Because there's often a gap between Mm -hmm. what we intend and how something is received. Yeah. um, I know that space well, (laughs) because I've spent a lot of time there in various capacities. And, um, And so it's, you know, it's really like, what is the end product that is going to best match not where I am right now, 
but where I want to be in 12 months or 24 months. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and then making sure that we do everything that we need to do in order to create that, because that is literally the, the tangible next step in our vision and our journey mm-hmm. toward wherever it is that we're going. Yeah. Because like in my mind, like I mentioned um, before we hopped on here, like I have ideas for books uh, that I would like to put out there still in the idea phase and I want to make sure they fit with what I'm doing and, and where I'm at and things like that. But for me, like my goal, and I don't know how lofty of goal this is because I'm not an author or publisher or anything like that would be to make it onto, you know, like a, a best-selling list. That would be mm-hmm. my goal. Um, and so does that, is that still a hard thing to, become a part of those lists, those, you know, New York times bestseller, things like that. Are those still, you know, for the elite, like top audience, like people with big audiences or, you know, cause someone like me make it on a list and you can be transparent. You can say, no, you're not at the level to make it. Like, what does it take, I guess, to get to those? Cause that in my mind, when I see, you know, I I'm an author of this book or, Hey, I'm an author of a New York time bestseller, like the New York times bestseller in my mind, just automatically. Oh, okay. So they're, you know, they're legit or whatever. Totally. Totally. So most of it just comes down to numbers, Okay. but the New York times bestseller list is its own animal. So, um, the New York times bestseller list is not a numbers based list. It's an editorial list. So yes, numbers are important, but the New York times, um, editors are handpicking the books that they think belong. So it's about, it's a who, you know, type thing. And well, partially. Okay. um, But also they will only look at books from the big six publishers for, so for example, a book like, um, uh, I believe uh, David Goggins don't hurt Mm, me. mm -hmm. uh, Can't hurt me. Can't hurt me. Yep. Yep. Um, So a book like that, um, any book that is self-published or published by a hybrid publisher, you will never see on that list. Like James Altucher's book has sold hundreds of thousands of copies has never been on the New York times list. So if you're not published by one of the big six, they currently won't look at you. It is one of my, my big goals that I'm going to change that. Yeah. Um, because I believe my clients can and deserve to be acknowledged on there um, for the quality of work that they're putting out. The wall street journal and USA Mm. today lists Mm -hmm. are much more purely numbers lists. So they do still reserve the right. Like, you know, if you've, basically, you know, written something that they don't believe represents the quality of book that, you know, yeah. uh, that they want to put out there, then they won't add it to the list. Okay. Um, however, for the most part, if you can sell upwards of 5,000 books during your launch week, you oh, have a decent oh, okay. shot of hitting those. Wow. Lists. So it's a launch week and you have to hit 5,000 sell sales to in, be on their in list that week. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's doable, especially yeah. if you work with pre-orders and yeah. you have a concerted marketing campaign about getting people to purchase your book, <laughs> review your book, share your book, everything during launch week. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we have uh, marketing partnerships with, uh, with various companies that can support our clients in managing those kinds of launches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very doable. And it's also because it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big marketing and visibility push. It is a substantial investment right. to, you know, to, to do something like that, to, to manage a launch like that. Yep. And so again, it's a question of, does this coincide with the goals for your next steps? Mm-hmm. Um, 
like you yeah. said, wanting to be on stages, possibly bigger stages, things like that. That's probably going to fall in line what what you need, so you can exactly. show. Okay. Exactly. Because being able to say. You know, and and to be transparent, I don't encourage my clients to do the whole Amazon bestseller thing. I okay. feel like that was that was actually a real benchmark about ten years ago. Okay. But with with categories and subcategories and sub 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 subcategories, <laughs> you know, I could write an essay about toenail fungus and get it oh, on the yeah. Amazon bestseller list. Gotcha. You know, it's okay. it's really you know, can you sell forty books in a day? And sometimes that's enough to get you number oh, wow. one bestseller in a subcategory. Okay, it's it's not it's not the um, and I hate to burst anyone's bubble with this because I know yeah. so many people are like, oh, I'm an Amazon bestseller, and yes, it's great. Yeah, and track that, and mm -hmm. you know, and and own that, and be proud of it but it's not the same scale okay and i think there's some confusion about that about yeah. like if i'm a bestseller on amazon it's equivalent to the wall street journal or gotcha. or even a bestseller like on barnes and noble or a bestseller, oh, yeah. you know a usa today um and it's not it's not at all the same thing okay also for anyone yeah. who self-publishing i feel like this is really important to know um Amazon has some language in there, you know, all of the many pages of fine print <laughs> about how misleading claims um, can get your product kicked off of Amazon. Oh, and wow. one of the misleading claims that they have been targeting, and this has been the case for a few years, because I believe that change was made in 2017 or 2018, is that you can't claim you're a bestseller if you're not selling books. And so you might have screenshots of like uh, the day you hit Amazon bestseller, but if you're using misleading marketing language saying, huh. you know, the number one bestseller and you don't have third party proof that that is true, you can actually have your book pulled from Amazon, which wow. is insane to me. Like, yeah. you know, Amazon doesn't want you to say that you're an Amazon bestseller, but it's something that, that I've been, I've been working with, um, over the last couple of years is like, how do we move beyond this, this, and it really does kind of feel like a fad yeah. to where authors are getting substantial support and recognition for their efforts. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, that Amazon bestseller status lasts an hour, lasts a day, it might last a week. But in the end, if there's nothing driving traffic and attention to the books after launch, it just kind of falls, you know, back down to right. um, to wherever it's going to sit in the categories, and it's not doing the author any good. Right. It's great to be able to say, yes, I made number one in the entrepreneurship slash whatever category, mm -hmm. but that's not it's not getting you where you want to go. Yeah, it's it's something that you can be proud of. It's something that you can say. It's not something you can put in your Amazon copy. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. So be aware of that. You know. It's, <laughs> So, um, so there's a lot of misconceptions around the whole bestseller process, but mm. for the most part, for nonfiction in particular, mm -hmm. um, what I love to coach people through is a strategy to get those 5,000-ish sales during their launch week. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not a guarantee of mm -hmm. landing on USA Today and Wall Street Journal, but it, it makes it likely and possible. Okay. Um, and then that is vetted by a third party. You can always go, you can look up a book title on USA Today and they will yeah. show you the bestseller rankings, when you ranked, what week it was. And it's, you know, it, it's just much more credible yeah. and, and shows a different level of visibility and mm -hmm. clout. That's no, and that's, that's a great 
bit of information because yeah, I you know I see a lot of people Amazon doing that and and nothing to get like it's great like I haven't written a book so the good job you guys have done it and got it out there and but again yeah my my goal is, is different so aiming for those other lists and you mentioned Barnes and Noble um one I I guess I didn't realize they had a list but they, I guess yes, I'll do, do I'll I'll do now I guess all the books areas but do you so do you help people or is it beneficial for people to get in stores like Barnes and Noble is that kind of another is that easy to do or is that another like hey I'm in Barnes and Noble that's awesome is that another thing people can show well it's really once again a question of driving interest okay so mm-hmm. um so most of the time when you uh when you publish in a print on demand format which we do for our clients because mm-hmm. i believe in print on demand uh as a way of uh you know not only streamlining things for our clients but also protecting the environment because yeah. i don't know if you know this but 40 percent of all books traditionally published end up in landfills wow because the the print runs are a guessing game. Hmm. So print on demand, you know, it doesn't fully alleviate that because if bookstores are ordering, they're still ordering in certain quantities and some might get sent back, but it alleviates a lot of that. So um, people ask like, why are you not doing a more traditional publishing model? It's like, well, because I don't really feel like wasting money and paper. Um, So there's that. Um, But through most print on demand services, and we use a few for our clients, um, you will have the option to distribute, um, whether they call it extended distribution on KDP, Uh or they'll call it different things in different formats. Um, But most of the time, the book will be available in for all of the online um, stores, for okay. most major booksellers. So okay. Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, um, Powell's, uh, which is the largest indie bookstore in the country, oh, wow. okay. uh, Waterstones, mm-hmm. um, Booktopia in Australia. There's a whole cool. list that are, I mean, I, I can only really speak for our books, but this right. is where our books get distributed. Then if there's a high level of demand, you can then reach out oh, to okay. um, to the, the corporate divisions of those bookstores and say, you know, here's my marketing plan. Here's the book. Here's how well it's doing. Hey, you've seen it rise right up your charts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, would you be interested in placing it in stores? And it's not always a yes, but it's right. an invitation mm-hmm. and it's a conversation that you can have. And um, one of the things that my team and I are doing right now is we're working on building out a list of every indie bookstore in the country because cool. we believe in indie bookstores. We yeah. don't just want our clients to be able to sell books through, you know, these juggernaut retailers, right. mm-hmm. although I do adore my local Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, developing relationships with indie bookstores, and this is something that authors can also do on their own. There are, you know, there are ways to find this information and um, you just have to make sure that your book is available to bookstores, which okay. it's not through all um, print-on-demand channels. You have to okay. really make sure that you're you're using the right channels. That's awesome. Yeah, learning. That's that's really cool and uh, a lot to learn from it. But no, I appreciate you sharing all this. This has been really good and insightful with you know that whole process of becoming a thought leader and and utilizing authorship being an author for that so uh, i do appreciate you taking time and being on here and sharing all that um before we wrap up though i kind of end with this question pencil leadership has five traits the fifth being that we're all created uniquely with a purpose and potential to leave a positive mark on the world and so when everything is said and done for you uh, on earth what do you hope your positive mark is 
Oh, I just, I just love this question. And I told you that when you shared it with me before the show. Um, so I really want to change the way that we engage with ideas because mm. ideas are the basis of all positive change. And until the expansive, um, higher consciousness, amazing ideas that are already out there that people are already working with can be seen and heard and interacted with. Mm. Like this is what's going to help save the planet. It's going to help save yeah. the human race. It's going to help, um, you know, transition us into a better way of being on a global scale. And it all starts with ideas. And so that's, yeah. that's my, that what is really what I feel like my work here is, is to further those ideas and awesome. help them get to the people who need them. That's awesome. And and yeah, it's it's just cool to to be connected with you now and and have you on here sharing that. Uh and I'm just a small ripple in your in your journey to do that. So I appreciate you being on here again. Where can people connect with you though? Uh and find out more about you and you know, seek out your help if needed. Absolutely. So you can find me at worldchangers.media. That's our company website. You can learn a little bit more about who we're working with and what we're doing. And right on the homepage is a link to get on my calendar for a call. If you are wanting to explore writing a book, I'd love to speak to you. Um, we don't do like freebie downloads or anything like that. It's like, let's have a conversation human right. to human and really look at your vision and your dreams. And I'm happy to do that with anybody who has questions. Awesome. Well, again, we appreciate you being on Pencil Leadership today. And uh, thank you so much for everything you shared. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.